This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. On today's program, we continue in the Pursuit series with a message entitled, Altering. Your best life is out there, waiting for you, but you choose how you're going to pursue your goals. Pursuit requires stepping, and the first step is prayer. Let's join Dr. Nate Roosh right now. The Pursuit, part two, altering. I want you to turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter three, starting with verse one. For everything there is a what? A season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to eat, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Listen, this is a great scripture that is basic truth about all of life. Life doesn't stay static. It's not the same all the time. Things change. Things move through. You're born. You're raised as a child, you go through elementary school, you go into middle and high school, you become a young adult, and then you go into middle age, and then you go into extended middle age, right? And it's always extended middle age for everybody in this next generation. And uh, not only are there seasons of age, but there's seasons of stage, and what we do, and sometimes people get married, and then they have kids, and that's a whole different thing. And then the kids grow up, and some people, they don't get married. They, they find their purpose in just uh, investing in people around them or in their career. And maybe you, you work towards, and through education and otherwise in training, you work towards a career, and now you're in that dream career. So seasons change, and, and then there's t- seasons of loss and seasons of all kinds of things. The bottom line is it's a season. Now, in Minnesota, we know seasons. See, other parts of the country, they have, like, they have like one or two seasons. And we do too. We have winter and road construction, right? <laughs> we have winter, and then we have spring. That's a, a day somewhere in June, I think. And then we have summer. That's two weeks in the month of July. <laughs> and then we have fall. And those seasons kind of, they bring about different experiences, don't they? I mean, springtime Springtime just seems, woo, way out there, so far away, I can't even feel it. But when it comes and it's like 45 degrees and Minnesotans are wearing shorts outside and they're feeling like it's super warm and all of that, and then, but there's hope in the air and then summertime comes and it's time to enjoy life and maybe go on a vacation or enjoy the lake or be outside and do yard work and those kind of things. And then the fall comes and the cooler air comes back in, but the colors are on the trees and it feels so wonderful, and then we enter winter, of which we are in right now. Now, winter is different, because when we look outside, we, it's kind of gray. Uh, the, the, there's no leaves on the trees, and, and, and the color is gone, and, and it's cold, and we get really hyped when it turns 30 degrees in a day in the month of January, like, yoo-hoo, 30 degrees. You know, people down south, they come here, they're like, what? 
on earth is wrong with you people? It's a dry cold. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so here's, here's the thing. We think about the seasons and we adjust to our seasons and we wear clothing appropriately in different seasons. But did you know that your heart has seasons? Your heart goes through seasons and those seasons are different. You know, a winter of the heart can be like the winter that we experience in Minnesota. We can go into a tragedy or a death can send us into a downward spiral of loneliness and emptiness. Winter is when your heart is so closed up you can't imagine it opening up again. Dreams become buried without the hope of resurrection. Our hearts are in different seasons and your heart will go through different seasons. I don't know where your heart is right now. I don't know what kind of the, the content of your heart is. If you're open and embracing the world that's around you or if you're closed up and tentative and feeling as though you're guarding your heart and that you're holding on and you're in survival mode. But the heart has seasons and we need to learn how to navigate the seasons of our heart without drifting from the one where we get our hope from. Life change can knock the wind out of us. Unexpected changes with our job, our friends could ditch us. How many have ever had a friend ditch you? And things kind of change and we feel kind of awkward or maybe we go through a, a family breakup or things are difficult or our body begins to let go of it, what it once was able to do, it can no longer do. And we can do that with relationships and with our marriages and our family members and we find ourselves following the season. We're just kind of going with the flow of whatever happens to us. Friends, I want you to know Without intentional effort, your heart will drift. Jeremiah 17, 9, God says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? How many of you ever been like, I don't even understand me. I don't know why I'm crying. I'm just crying. I don't know why I'm angry. I don't understand why I'm frustrated. If I let my heart take over, it's deceitful. It'll deceive me. The psalmist recognized this and he asked for help from God. He said this, search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know that God knows our heart better than we do. There's a dangerous kind of philosophy in our day and age that you're just supposed to do whatever feels good. You be you. You do what you think. And that, that philosophy sounds great because we wanna honor individuality. We wanna honor everybody. We don't wanna dishonor anybody. But let me tell you, friends, as a pastor, as a person that's walked alongside people for many years, watched marriages and families and individuals and their stories, the people that just go wherever their heart leads them are the people that are picking up broken pieces later on. You have a responsibility to guard your heart, and the best place for your heart to have a future is in the hands of God. 
to follow his ways, even when it doesn't feel right, and even when you don't know what to do, to trust in the one who knows you best. There's a word, that word is entropy, which means the tendency for things to fall apart. You know, nature shows it just falls apart if it's not tended to. Planes will fall to the ground if the engines aren't going. Entropy is the tendency for things to fall apart. But do you know companies and marriages and families, churches can fall victim to entropy without intentional force. That's why we need to fight entropy. We need to keep our hearts from drifting. I want to talk today about the ancient biblical practice of altar building. The ancient biblical practice of altar building. Now, the biblical practice of altar building was a regular practice, a rhythm that kept followers of God close to the God of comfort. When they sinned, when they sacrificed to God, something great would happen. God would forgive, God would make new. And then they would also celebrate good things that were happening in their life, a harvest coming in, by sacrificing thankfully. In the Old Testament, altars were used in many different ways, and many things were sacrificed on an altar to God. Animals and grain and fruit and wine and incense and the grain of fruit sacrifices were offered as a tithe of the harvest. They're representative of the first fruits of the harvest. They were presented in baskets to the priest who set the basket before the altar. You can read that in Deuteronomy 26. And so there was a practice of bringing things to God. But then, you know, it was a cultural thing too. It was in that day and age, there were uh, other gods were worshiped, and, and so it was important who the altar was set up to. And so it was important that the altar would be set up to worship Yahweh, the one true God, not Baal, which was another lowercase g God or the gods of the era, but to make sure that the altar was dedicated to God. And it didn't have to be elaborate. Many times you might think in terms of, in the Old Testament, the tabernacle and the ornate stuff that was built into the Ark of the Covenant and, and the lamps and all of the stuff that's exquisite and amazing that God had put together. But listen, altars weren't just that. It could be as simple as one like smooth, big, large stone. And the stone could be a place to worship God. It could be an altar. It was a meeting place between people and God. And so you find things like in, in the uh, book of Genesis, for example, the first book of the Bible, these biographies of people that would meet with God, and as they met with God, they would build an altar. That altar would represent their meeting with God. One place was called Bethel. Bethel was the house of God, was in that place. Jacob said that out in the middle of the field. He could build an altar anywhere. Did you know you can build an altar for your heart to meet with God? Anywhere, you can. But it was a place to meet with God. It was a place to sacrifice and surrender. Abraham, the father of faith, had to go up a mountain where he was led to sacrifice and bring his son on the altar before God. It was the ultimate surrender action from between him and God. And so those things were meant to surrender and yielding their right to be right. God provided a ram in the thicket and the son didn't need to be sacrificed, but the ultimate was to bring it all before God. How many know God is God of everything? 
But we find him to be God of our lives when we surrender our everything to him. It doesn't just happen because he's a God out there and he's everybody's God. No, the altar becomes the place where we meet with him and we surrender. Now in the New Testament, as we turn and swipe right into the New Testament of history, and we move into this new story, Jesus steps into the picture. And the coolest thing is that Jesus Christ is the ultimate sacrifice who affects reconciliation with God. In other words, he becomes our sacrifice. Instead of a lamb being on the, on the altars, uh, a sacrifice before God on behalf of our sins, Jesus became the lamb slain for us. This is good news. I don't even want to go into deep theology on it. It simply means this. Everybody under the sound of my voice right now, you need to know this. You have sinned, so have I. And instead of us needing to kill a lamb all the time for every sin that we've done, now Jesus has stepped in and he took our place. He brought us back. He made a pathway between us and God. You can know Jesus today because of what he did for you when he died on the cross for your sins and my sin. Now, that act of submission would lead to something in the New Testament. The Greek for altar means place of sacrifice. So it wasn't just in the Old Testament. It was actually found in the New Testament, lest you think this is only Old Testament stuff. In fact, Jesus referred to the altar in Matthew 5 when he was talking about disputes between people. And he said, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there uh, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. In other words, he just referred to it. Now he gives direction about what to do with that. But friends, altars are a part of the new, okay? And altars were places of God's presence, meeting places with God, Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I love this verse because it says we now get to go and be a living sacrifice with our lives to God, continuously surrendering to him. But he calls it a living sacrifice. That means that it's an ongoing connection, an ongoing meeting between you and God. Did you know that you don't stop meeting with Jesus the day that you give your life to him? There's supposed to be continued meetings with them. There's an agenda tomorrow, it's meet with Jesus. There's an agenda on Tuesday, it's meet with Jesus. There's an agenda next month, it's meet with Jesus. And that meeting point, that altar, if you will, You are to be a living sacrifice. Here's the problem with being a living sacrifice. Living things can crawl off the altar. We drift. We forget we're supposed to be there. We go back to sacrificing our lives for something else. We chase other things. Other things dominate our attention. Oh, look, a bird. And we get caught up in other things going on in our life. And we forget to be the living sacrifice. I want you to consider something. The altar itself is neutral. It's a place where souls can become transformed for the good or for the bad. I want you to consider that nowadays there are modern altars that you might not think of. Facebook and Twitter. 
Places where we put our mind, and I'm not, Snapchat. It could be whatever social media thing of the day. It could be your phone. Things we own, our houses, our TVs. Those become things that by themselves are not sin and are not godly. But they will affect us based on our time and our usage with them. Our friends, even our kids can become altered. We can sacrifice to our kids. And they become our leaders and we forget where we're going. Uh, our founder of this church, Mark Daniels, for 43 years, he talked about the, the Sabbath day and he talked about Sunday in particular. And he would talk about how American culture during his 43 years as the pastor of our church, America gradually pushed Sunday out of being God's day. And if you think about it nowadays, when it comes to Sundays, there is nothing sacred about Sundays in our culture. Sunday used to be an altar to God, but it's become an altar to self, to sports, to kids. That's what it's become. So what I'm saying is those activities themselves don't seem sinful or anything else, but we need to be asking ourselves the question, where is my heart going with what I'm putting my heart into? An altar is anything that after spending time giving it our attention, our heart is emboldened for the good or for the bad. So I want to introduce that term, altering. Altering is the practice of bringing our heart to the altar. In a regular, everyday pattern, if you will. If we're going to pursue God, we need to practice altering. We must have a time where our hearts are at the altar, searched and clean, so that we can benefit the world instead of follow it. 1 Timothy 1.5, Paul is speaking and he talks about the purpose of what he's doing. He says, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. How many want a pure heart? How are you gonna keep your way, your heart pure? The way you keep it pure is by altering it. Bring it to a place where it's regularly purified, where the conscience is clean. You know what we have an issue with in our culture is clean consciences. Why? Because we're good at like presenting one picture to this group and another picture to that group and another picture to that group. We don't even know who we are anymore. And then we're guilty when we talk to this group because we know it's not the full truth that we're saying to this group. We're different in one group than we are in another group. And our heart is no longer complete and pure. So we need to practice altering. Let me give you five simple altering actions to your day that will make a significant difference to keep your heart good. Simple altering actions. The first one is this. Scripture every day. Say that with me. Scripture every day. Now, I'm saying this because I think it's really important, okay? I think it's important for us to really read the Bible every day. This is just something that pastors say, but this has to do with your heart, okay? Hebrews 4, verse 12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the harmony. Anybody have an attitude before in here? Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give 
account. This word, the word of God, is not just an ancient text that religious people refer to to back up what they want to do. The word of God, it says in James, is like a mirror. It's like a mirror. When you look at the mirror, something happens. Now, I don't know what happened to you this morning when you got up and you looked in the mirror or what you do when you look in the mirror every day. You might get up and go, ah, you know. You look at yourself, you know, what's going on? Now, I, I could ask for a show of hands of how long it takes some of you. Does it take you 15 minutes? Does it take you a half hour? How many of you can do it in five minutes or less? And you get up in the morning, all right. Here's my point. What if every day you looked at the word of God? And I'm not talking about huge Bible studies. I'm just, you know, the Bible doesn't even say you have to understand everything, although you want to seek to understand. But if you read one psalm and one proverb a day alone, it would change your life. Why? Because when you open it up and you see something, God begins to speak from his word. It's living. It's real time. It's 2019. It's today. Second, prayer, 15 minutes a day. Prayer, 15 minutes a day. Okay, now I'm not saying that you, if you go 14, man, you're out, okay? It's terrible, all right? What I am saying is that you need to set a mark somewhere where you go, I'm going to pray. There needs to be space where I interact with God and God interacts with me. Now, I'm going to suggest a path to fill a 15-minute period of time. This is a little acronym, ACTS, okay? If you take ACTS, the word ACTS, and you break it up into four sections, the letter A is for adoration. Spend your first part of your prayer adoring God, declaring who he is. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He is the one that always was and always will be. So when you start praying, you're adoring who he is. You recognize him as Lord. Second, you can go right into confession. Confession is speaking in real time where you are. You adore, you confess, and then T is for Thanksgiving. We need to learn to even develop a list of things that we can be thankful for. I think nowadays we're quicker to be able to criticize than we are to build up. Is it true? So what if you developed a sense of thanksgiving for what God has already done for you? My point is this. What if you developed a list of things to be thankful for? I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful that I have a house to live in. I'm thankful for food. I'm thankful that God didn't give up on me when he should have. The S, the last part of praying 15 minutes, is supplication. Supplication is just saying, all right, you're there. You're in a sense of thankfulness. You've already told God what's going on. What do you want? We've been given an invitation to boldly approach the throne in our time of need. So what do you need to talk about? When you come to the altar, if you will, and you're praying, and prayer's your altar, Lord, I've got worries about my kids. I'm worried about the bills. I'm worried about, and all those worries are better off being in prayer on the altar before him than they are staying in our heart. Number three, altar demolition. Altar demolition. Now, in the Old Testament, this is a big deal because the king's 
of Israel were judged by God by what they did with the altars. You see, they had inhabited a land where there were altars set up to other gods. Some of them were up in the hills. Those were called high places. And those altars were worshiping other gods, the sun god, Baal, the different gods, okay? And God would say about this king at the end of his reign, he did well, he served God, but he did not tear down the altars. In other words, it's not just about worshiping God on Sunday, but we need to deal with those things that might be set up to other gods in our life. And maybe we need to deal with some demolition. What if you reclaimed your Sundays a little bit? I've heard from a few people this week that part of their 21 days of fasting and prayer, they have stopped social media. And I heard from a few of them that just said, it's amazing when I'm not looking at Facebook every day, how I'm not dealing with jealousy and frustration and anger all the time, just by getting rid of Facebook in their daily life. That's bringing down an altar. Number four, worship. Simple altering actions. Did you know worship changes your perspective? It's amazing when you come in on Sunday and you're singing, which is part of worship, and how God begins to do things throughout worship. You come in at first and it's like, yeah, we're just singing, but somewhere along, couple songs in, all of a sudden you're meeting with God. Worship changes your perspective. Fifth, build your altar at church. Build your altar at church. Psalm 27, eight. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. I would hope that when we come to church, it's not just to hear a good 30 minutes of the pastor yelling at you. But really, when we're coming to church, we're coming to meet with God. And you can build an altar at church when you determine that church becomes your altar. It's one of your altars. What if you came to bring your heart to God? What if you came to meet with him? If you have concerns and worries and other things going on, what if you came to church because you're going to talk to God about your stuff today? What if you came because you need him, you need perspective in life, you need rejuvenated? What if you came with the purpose of doing that? You know, this church has been built on what we call the altars. For us at this church, that means just the front of our sanctuaries and each of our locations. We just got open space. In fact, we intentionally do not have our, our seats all the way to the front. Why? Because we want room for people to come and kneel and pray if they need to or worship during a service. Why? So that they can... They can meet with God. Friends, you can't get what you can get here at Target. You can't get it on Amazon. You can only get it when you choose to make church your altar. Emmanuel's Sunday services can be seen live every week at 9 and 11 a.m. at emmanuelcc.org. Be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time. 